appreciate that. All right, let's turn our Bibles to First Timothy chapter uh, chapter number four, and uh, going through our series, Authentic Church, and uh, look at a couple of verses tonight. So, First Timothy chapter four, and let's begin reading there in verse um, verse one. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter time some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. All right, let's pray. We'll get, to, get into the lesson tonight. Father God, we just want to thank you again for allowing us to be here tonight. We do thank you, Lord God, for, Lord, just the ability, uh, Lord, that we have to, uh, Lord, to comprehend your word. Lord, we know that it's this, the spirit that, that teaches us. And Lord, we just want to uh, be able to, uh, Lord, get into your word tonight and glean upon it and take it in and uh, that it would help us Lord really understand the, the day that we live in and I pray to God that you would help us to uh, Lord just to glorify you uh, not only in our listening but Lord especially in our doing uh, especially in our observation uh, Lord of your word and, and Lord just the application of it in our lives and I thank you Lord for for the day thank you Lord for uh, all that you've already accomplished in our hearts and we thank you and praise you in Jesus' most precious, holy, wonderful name, amen. All right, we've read there the, the first couple of verses in chapter 4, and again, uh, we've covered, I believe, chapter, this chapter in, in the, just the first verse. So it's speaking specifically the, about the latter times. And really, if we consider, uh, consider the, just the, the day that we live in, we see some of these um, some of these characteristics uh, that are evident uh, in, our, in our time today. And we spoke a little bit about those that are departing from the faith and understand that there are causes of that. And primarily, those causes are the, them, those that are departing from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. So we, we spoke about that, defined that a little bit. We, we spoke about those uh, seductive spirits that are in the world and those uh, doctrines of devils, and really, when we consider that, uh, it's really false teaching. Those that, that teach uh, against the, uh, the, uh, the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and now we get into chapter 2 here, where the Bible continues to describe for us uh, further characteristics of, um, of these spirits, all right, in, in the latter times. And I want you to note here, firstly, in verse 2, that they speak lies in hypocrisy. And, and, and there's that idea that they come under the guise of truth or under the guise of being helpful when really they're damaging. They speak lies in hypocrisy. There's a, the first mention of the word hypocrisy in the Bible is found in Isaiah 32.6. And um, the, the Bible says, Therefore the vile person will speak villainy, and his heart will work iniquity to practice hypocrisy. So if we wanted to really define for, uh, for us biblically what hypocrisy is, we can look at the first mention, and it's saying there's the vile person who speaks villainy, who works, whose heart will work iniquity. All right, and, um, and so we, we can define those words. The, the word vile means to be base, to be mean, to be worthless, and the word villainy means wicked or criminal in nature. And so it's got this idea, speaking lies of hypocrisy, to, it really simply means this, it's, it's to deceive. It's to come under the guise of one thing when really the intention is to deceive. And, and you know, I think about that and, and really that's, that's the world we live in. You know, even things that are labeled Christian, even things that are labeled biblical, if we're not careful and we're not, we're not studying and we're not comparing Scripture with Scripture um, can become those things that are deceptive and will lead us astray, will, will cause us to depart from the faith. 
Uh, in Matthew 23, verses 27 to 28, the Bible says this, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, and he calls them hypocrites. For ye are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. And so he's again describing, and we know the, the issues that the Lord Jesus uh, had with the, those uh, scribes and Pharisees. They were teaching something when they were not another thing. They, they were teaching something that, was that, that, um, that they themselves weren't adhering to, and, and they looked good, they looked right, but in the end, when you really looked, uh, looked at, at what they were all about, they were full of dead men's bones. They looked like something decorative, something that you could look at and, and it, it really exemplifies life, but really they were just full of death. And that's what he was saying here, these seducing spirits, they speak lies and hypocrisy because it, it looks right, it sounds right, but when you really examine it, it's the opposite. They speak lies and hypocrisy. Even so, you also, the, the, in Matthew, continues verse 28, you also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within you are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. And what hypocrisy is, it's found in those who speak a certain way, but don't evidence it inwardly. They can talk the talk, but their talk doesn't match their walk. So in the context of what we're saying here, we're speaking about in, in these scriptures, it's those who are being drawn away uh, from the faith by seducing spirits because of those lying hypocrisies. It's deception with, with, the, with the, the goal of promoting error. And, and notice then it continues, say, speaking lies and hypocrisies, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. So that, that word seared means burnt on the surface. It, it means cauterized. It, it's hardened. Um, you know, when you, when you burn your, your, um, a part of your hand, it hardens. It loses a bit of feeling. It just becomes harder to, to, um, to get feeling there. And, and this, this phrase has the idea of those who, are, um, who are, are listening or taking heed to seducing spirits and they're, they're departing from the faith, being hardened really more and more in their unbelief. They're, they're being drawn away. And, and so they're being hardened to truth. And, you know, we can probably think of, of some that, that started with a little bit and, and suddenly they started to walk away more and more from the, from the biblical, um, biblical teachings of the, uh, from, from the New Testament, from the Scriptures. And they, you see them as you begin to talk to them about the truth and talk to them really just directly about the Word of God, they just become hardened to that. They, they become unreceptive. They, they, it's, it's like it's no longer affecting them. They've made up their mind and they're not going to change their mind about the, the, the error that they're being drawn away with. And that's the, the world we live in. There's, there's such seductive spirits in our world today that causes our conscience to be seared with a hot iron. It's hardening to unbelief, hardening to the truth, hardening to the realities of the Word of God. And, and whether that's in, in practical means, in the way we ought to behave, the, old, the way we ought to live, or even in the, the very doctrines of the Word of God. But, but that's the, the world we live in. And, and really, there's a, the, uh, when you think about this passage here, it's really speaking about spiritual warfare, isn't it? Because it's the spirit that speaks expressly, and then he says this, giving heed to seducing spirits. So this, this battlefield and this, this warfare is a spiritual warfare, and there are spiritual causes and effects that, that, that's happening in the latter times. Um, it's not so much the, the, the outward things that we're seeing, so to speak, but it, it, these are spiritual battles that are happening, and so go down to now to verse 3, and it, it expands further some specifics. And so the, the passage really shifts now to some, uh, some commands or teachings being exp, uh, espoused by uh, these seductive spirits that lead away. And again, uh, we've got to look at this broadly because um, we as the church, we as God's people, we still have to live in this present time, correct? We're still living in this time. These are the latter times. So we've got to look at this in a broader perspective. And, and not only does, is it within the church, obviously there's, a, there's, there's things happening outside of the church 
that really is, is, is the seductive spirits that are trying to, to lead away and, and cause the, uh, those who are of the faith to defi- depart from the faith. So, so the focus now shifts to some, some uh, specific teachings or specific commands being uh, espoused by these seductive spirits. And notice here what they are. Forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats. Isn't that interesting? So forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats. Those are the those are the two things he points out that these seductive spirits are trying to push an agenda and push some sort of teaching about. Um, turn to Colossians chapter two. Colossians chapter two, and we'll turn to a few passages of scripture and we'll see that 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 we, we, we can observe this in our day today. Colossians chapter 2, look at verse 20. Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why, as though living in the world, are ye subject to ordinances? So there's these things that are ordinances, the teachings in the world. It says, touch not, taste not, handle not, which all are to perish with the using after the commandments and doctrines of men, it's, it's teachings of men, which things have indeed a show of wisdom in will worship and humility and neglecting of the body, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. So what we're going to find is right through, uh, right through Scripture, uh, right through especially here in the writings of Paul to the, the churches and the, the groups of Christians all around uh, that region, was this, this battle that was, uh, that was really being uh, funneled into the church by the world around them of um, ascetism, all right? And, and so, again, this is relating to those lying and seductive spirits and uh, those beguiling words. It says in, in here in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 4, And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. So really, he's introducing Christ to them again, and he's saying, remember the simplicity of Christ, because there's the, the beguiling, there's those seductive or enticing words, enticing teachings that might draw you away from him. And, and that's what he's warning against here in Colossians chapter 2, and very similar, really, to 1 Timothy chapter 4 there. But again, it relates to, those, uh, to lying and seductive spirits that are in the world today. And again, can I remind you tonight that, that the battle isn't in the visible or physical, but it's in the invisible spiritual realm. They, they might manifest as we look and observe with spiritual eyes, but really it's that the battle is in the spiritual realm. And, and, and this has is, this is got to do with, with uh, false teaching coming into the church, but it's also, it's also to do with lying spirits that are trying to infiltrate the very hearts of minds and believers who have to, like we do today, still live in the world, right? We still have to go amongst. We still have to try to navigate through some of the, some of the different voices in the world today. And there are those voices. There, there are those seductive spirits that are trying to infiltrate our thinking. And, and really, because of that, then, it, it infiltrates the core of the church, because the church is not the building, the church is made up of its people, correct? And so we have to be very guarded to understand that it's spiritual warfare. It's not just like, you know, we listen and we, we sort of just let it, let it come into our, our heads and our minds. We've got to think through and we've got to guard our hearts. Um, and again, in their day, it was um, asceticism and the, the belief that that belief was that we must constantly go against pleasure and anything that brings us joy in the physical realm. All right? It's a form of self-punishment. It's underpinned by the idea that man can redeem himself by punishing himself through abstinence. And asceticism is the idea that abstinence from physical things is essential for spiritual purity. And that's why it's those two things, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats. Um, here, here we see the attacks of seductive spirits start, interestingly, with marriage and eating meat. What's that got to do with anything? 
So marriage and eating meat. Uh, John Phillips in his commentary about this says this and makes this connection, and we could probably make this. Some people believe that these marks of apostasy are seen in Romanism or the Roman Catholic Church because of the prohibition, uh, maybe either partial or total. The Roman Catholic Church does enforce celibacy on its priests and those who enter monasteries, monks and nuns, also are sometimes required to abstain from meat. And at one time, the Roman Catholic Church required all of its members to abstain from eating meat on Fridays. So I think we understand that. We can make, probably make that connection. And, and we, can, we can see the, the, um, the seduction of the Roman Catholic Church over history. However, I think we live in a time where certainly these two things are not only being seen in the Roman Catholic Church, but is, is being really espoused worldwide. And again, uh, notice the first one, forbidding to marry. And uh, think about it. Marriage today is being attacked and devalued like no other time. Um, it's really through the red redefinition of it. There's this great confusion about marriage. There's great confusion about what, what it really is and what, what it's all about. And so this idea of forbidding to marry, really there's, there's a, if you like to think about it this way, a worldwide debate about that. Is it still for today, is what they're saying. Is it still for now? Is marriage really that important? Is, is, it, is it really what God says it is? And, and what that is, it's a form of forbidding. Forbidding has this idea of, of having an authority to stop it. And, and you see in the world today where, where really governments are taking greater control of what marriage is all about. Uh, and, and really... Um, Really, you've got to think about it, was, was marriage ever really a human government responsibility? But that's what it is today, isn't it? There, there's legal, all of these, there's, there's all layers about marriage, and, and you know, we understand that with the day we live in, but we also li- live in a day where, where marriage, from a biblical point of view, how God defined it, is being redefined. And so, again, understand that that's not just, you know, the, the time we live in. That's, that's seductive spirits. That's latter, this is the latter times that we live in, and, and it's being manifested through the, this forbidding of marriage. And, and marriage also is becoming something that's done later. And we understand everyone has a different circumstance, and, but, but in general terms, Marriage is being put off till, till later in life now. The, the median age for, for married people is creeping towards 30 more and more. And again, I understand that there's, there's certain situations and all of that, but in a general sense, there's a general spirit where we just hold off and hold off and hold off on marriage. And, 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 and the, the, there's, a, there's, a, there's a general spirit about that, that, that even at times, marriage becomes an afterthought. There's a, there's, a, there's a greater increase in the de facto relationships in our world today where, where people live together, try each other out, and then see if, you know, they don't, they don't, they don't stuff things up, then eventually they get married. It's an afterthought. And it's, it holds to that idea of forbidding, uh, forbidding to marry. And again, this flies against God's intent for marriage, which is for companionship which is for reproduction and the union of marriage, a picture of Christ and the church. Remember that. Really, that's the big picture problem of the devaluation and the redefinition of marriage. It's meant to be a picture of the church and Christ. That's, that's what those seductive spirits are trying to warn against and trying to, trying to uh, make those who uh, are of the faith depart from the faith. Because God clearly defines and clearly says what He thinks of marriage in the Bible. And so there's a certain spirit today of, of forbidding to marry. And it's got to do with that picture. And let's look at some of the attitudes. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7.
And notice verse 1. And you know the, the, the problem in the Corinthian church? They were, they were carnal. Uh, there was uh, fornication in the church. Those things that were just, just blatantly sinful in the church. And, and part of that, of course, is the, the idea of marriage. And, and he says, now concerning the things whereof you wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. And we can park it right there for a little bit. And can I just say that for those of you who are in that age where you're dating and you're trying to find and you're trying to trying to know someone for the intent of marriage, the Bible still says it is not good for a man to touch a woman. All right, it's plain and simple. All right, if you're if you're dating, if you're you're in that, that kind of relationship, the Bible still says, don't touch. Now, you can argue against that, but it's black and white right there on your Bible if you read it. It says, don't touch. All right, so he says, don't touch. Say, it's not good for a man to, it's not good. It is good for a man not to touch a woman. But then he says, nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife and let every woman have her own husband. Saying that, that there, is a, a, there is a need to understand that there is a marriage covenant. Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence and likewise also the wife unto the husband. The wife hath not power over, uh, of her own body but the husband and likewise also the husband hath not power of his own body but the wife. So he's saying, you know, in that physical relationship after marriage, don't defraud one another, it says in, in verse 5. Um, it says, uh, except it be with, with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again that, again that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency. And then he says this interestingly in verse 6, but I speak this by permission and not of commandment, for I would that all men were even as myself. But every man hath his proper gift of God and one after this manner and another after that. So what he was saying there was really in his situation, he was now, an, he was now single. Uh, again, we, we don't know. We, uh, I believe that his, uh, his, his wife, uh, he, he would have had to been married if he was a Pharisee, if he was a doctor of the law. That, that's part of that, that, um, that qualification prior to his salvation. A lot of people uh, speculate that maybe his wife left him because of, because of his conversion to Christianity. But I, I believe as I look through Scripture, again, I, I believe that he, uh, his wife probably died and now he was just deciding to just continue to be single. So he's saying, you know, there is, there is a situation where, where the calling of God upon a person's life is that they don't marry, that they remain single for the usage of God. And again, we don't find our fulfillment ultimately in marriage. We find our fulfillment in the Lord Jesus Christ, right? So for those of you who are, are still single and you're still waiting for, for God's timing on that, then I, I want to say be satisfied with that, but be busy serving God. You have that opportunity more than anyone else. So continue to serve God. Don't use your signalness as an excuse uh, for you not to be effective in the work of the ministry. In fact, what Paul was saying was this, I wish I was more, uh, more, there was more like me who just decided to remain single. Because, and he said, it's not a command. He's asking by permission. And God obviously permitted him because he wrote it uh, in the canon of Scripture. But he's saying every man has his proper gift of God. And after this manner, and another after that. So he's saying, you know, one's not better than the other. He's just saying that, you know, he sees that in his singleness, he's able to do this and that. But let's continue on. It says, I say, therefore, to the unmarried and widows, it is good for them if they abide even as I. But notice verse 9, but if they cannot contain, let them marry. For it is better to marry than to burn. And look at this, really, when I think about this, this is the most base attitude. This is the most base reason to get married. He's saying if you can't contain your, your natural passions, 
you might as well get married. But notice the attitude again. He's saying, don't get, he's not saying don't get married. He's saying, do get married. So, so what's that saying? What's the scripture saying here about marriage? It should be a, your, it should be a right option. It should be a good thing that we look at. And even, even if your reasoning is the most base reasoning, marriage is still the preferred thing. He's still saying, and, and what I'm trying to say is this, it was never really God's attitude to forbid marriage. His attitude was, let him have it. Look at marriage as a good thing. Again, in Hebrews 13, 4, marriage is honorable in all. And, and I'm saying that because it's this. Marriage is a great type and picture in that union of the Lord Jesus Christ and the church. We get that teaching in Ephesians, right? So we won't take the time tonight uh, to, to just go on about that. It's, uh, all I'm saying is these, these seductive spirits, are, are, are th there's a purpose, there's a spiritual reason why they're forbidding to marry. Because they're trying to stop a beautiful picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's meant to be a testimony. A good marriage is really a testimony of Christ and the church. It's meant to reflect the love that Christ has for the church. That's meant to be the, the picture of a Christian marriage. And so for those of you who are married, you have a great responsibility in our day to, to shine the gospel message through your marriage. And it's not why, by what you say, it's how you live. It's how you live, uh, you husbands, how you love. You wives, how you submit. And it's pretty clear in Scripture what, what the Bible's speaking about there. But understand why then there's a, there's a spirit to forbid that today. Because it's trying to, it's trying to stop it's trying to get those to depart from the faith and God's general attitude to marriage because it's a picture of Christ and His church. You get that tonight? So forbidding to marry. But then notice the next thing in verse 3. Not only that, he says, and commanding to abstain from meats. Now this is, a, this is, this is something uh, that I purposely fight in my day. I like meat. Man. Where's the men in this room? Have we fallen trap already? And, you know, I can't think of a time in history when eating meat is more discouraged and vilified than our day today. The rise of animal rights movements and vegan type of diets that prioritize the treatment of animals over the need of human beings is quite astounding today. If you look at just, you know, even if the news covers it because of the silliness of it, you see these protesters who are protesting the rights of the cow. You ever, have you ever observed the cow? Now, I'll just tell you in my wilder, younger days, in, 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 at Plumpton High School, all right, we used to have an agricultural plot. That was part of, our, part of our schooling. We had to do ag, okay, agriculture. Now, for me, it was fun because I got to drive a tractor. Um, but you know what else was fun? It was we had cows on our property. And I'll just, it's a bit of a confession. You can tell on me later. But there were times at night where my, my buddies and I would go cow tipping. And if you've never done that before, you've not lived your life, okay? But obviously, cows, they sleep standing up. And what we used to do, we used to climb the fence, we used to push those cows over, and you'll never see a funnier sight than cows sort of flailing, all right? So, so I'm sorry I did that. I, I, didn't mean to, I didn't mean to, you know, to go against the rights of those cows to sleep in peace. But I figured, you know, they needed some entertainment in their lives as well. But, you know, there's people who go to the nth degree to protect the rights of these creatures that really God made so men could eat steak. Amen? Medium rare. And, and you know, there, there's, there's, 
there's this absurdity today of this simple thing of abstaining from eating meat. And look, I, I, I understand there are those that for health-related reasons can't eat meat or certain types of meat. I understand that some make that choice for, uh, for what they perceive to be health benefits. But there's just this great movement to preserve the rights of animals. Just avoid eating meat. Well, you know, I just love Australia Day because we're meant to eat lamb. All right? But we, 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 we live in a time that just, it really vilifies that. Um, and, and yet the Bible tells us in Romans one twenty five, really, again, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator who is blessed forever and amen. And, and we're going to see that, that God has some attitudes as well about eating meat. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, we won't turn there, but the whole, the whole debate was, should we eat meat that is offered to idols? And really, Paul lands on this, you know, if, if it goes against the conscience of your brother, don't do it. But really, it's okay. Eat. Just eat the meat. All right? If it's cheaper, even better. All right? Just eat it. He's saying it, there's no problem. There's no moral reason to abstain from eating meat. Saying there's nothing about that. Even meat's offered to idols. Saying the only reason you wouldn't is, is if it affects the, the weaker brother. Right? But, but we understand that God has an attitude about um, eating meats. And uh, even uh, some of you might, might then go, well, well, pastor, don't forget. Don't forget in the beginning, you know, Adam and Eve in the garden, uh, they, they weren't told to eat meat. In fact, they were, they were vegetarians. You know, they were told to eat of every tree except for that one, right? They were, they were given the herbs and all of that, and they were to eat that. And, and you know, you might make that argument, argument with me tonight and say, well, God's original intent was for us to eat vegetables, and, you, you know, you're, you're correct, but you're also incorrect because we're no longer in the garden, <laughs> right? I don't know if you noticed. We're no longer in the garden, all right? We're, we're, we've fallen. Um, and God went through that process of, of cleaning out the earth again and starting again. And, and notice what he said in Genesis chapter 9 after the flood. Look at Genesis chapter 9. So at the very least, we can say, you know, we're, we're no longer in the garden. We're no longer in that dispensation. So here's what God said about that. Look at Genesis chapter 9 and look at verses 1 to 3. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every fowl of the air, upon all that moveth upon the earth and upon all the fishes of the sea into your hand are they delivered. Notice verse 3, every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you, even as the green herb have I given you all things. So he's saying not only have I given you the green herb now, he's saying I've given you all this meat. And man's life changed forever. All right? And, and, and he was now allowed to have barbecue. Aren't you glad? I am. I don't know about you. I'm really glad God said have a barbecue to Noah. All right, he said, have meat. So again, again, God's attitude and, and what he's, he's trying to get us to, to see is, no, no, eat meat. All right, this is after the flood. And by the way, if just, you're, if just in case you're wondering, that's today, all right? We're after the flood. So, so it's actually current for us, this thing, where it says, now eat meat. So, so, so man, God had changed gears a little bit and now... He was told to eat meat. Now, now you might be thinking, well, then, then God limited that. He, had, he gave the law, and in the law, there were certain types of, uh, of, of meats and things that were, were not to eat. He, he, he said that. So what about that? Well, let me give you an answer for that. Look at Acts chapter 10. Look at Acts chapter 10. And we understand that was under the law, right? So in Acts chapter 10, here... Uh, 
Peter uh, was struggling with the whole new dynamic of the Gentiles being part of God's economy, being part of God's plan now. And, and really, this is the time that we live in. We live in the time of the, the, the church. And this was Acts is the, the big transitional book that introduced the church. And so Peter's still struggling this. Peter was really had the mindset that, that he was a Jew and, and, and really this was for the Jews. Um, let's see, let's begin reading uh, in verse 5. Now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon whose, name, whose surname is Peter. He lodgeth with one Simon a tanner whose house is by the seaside. He shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. And when the angel which spake unto Cornelius was departed, he called two of his household servants and a devout soldier of them that waited on him continually. And when he had declared all these things unto them, he sent them to Joppa. In verse 9, on the morrow as they went on their journey, so these are Gentiles coming to Peter now. They were commanded of God to go to Peter. And so while they were journeying, notice what happened to Peter. And Peter went up upon the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. So at some point in the day, he goes up to his rooftop and he starts to pray. And he became very hungry and would have eaten. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance. So they they were still cooking and he was getting hungry. He fell into a trance. And, um, And some say, well, he just napped, all right? Well, I know some of you men, when you get hungry, you nap like that, all right? But, but he fell into a trance, and notice in that, that trance that the vision, a vision opened up. He says, And so heaven opened up, and a certain vessel descending unto him as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners and let down to the earth. So some, some sort of material, uh, uh, some sort of sheet was being laid, uh, uh, was, was being put down. Notice verse 12, We're in all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth, and wild beasts, and creeping things, and fowls of the air. And, and if you know a little bit about the Levitical um, dietary requirements, those four-footed beasts, and all of these things named here, they were forbidden. They, they, were, actually, they were actually termed unclean. All right, but God, God had a purpose in that. Uh, and there came a voice to him, this is to Peter, rise Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, No, not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice spoke unto him unto the second time, What God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. And and this was done thrice, and the vessel was received up up again. And now while Peter doubted in himself what this vision which he had seen should mean, behold, the men which were sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. So now these Gentiles, and, and what God was trying to say was this, uh, I'm changing gear here, Peter. It's now the time of the Gentiles. It's now the time of the church. And I want you to understand that those things that were before are now gone. There's not even a dietary requirement anymore. You can eat anything you want. <laughs> even those four-footed beasts and creeping things and, and those things that I termed unclean, I've cleansed now. And really he was speaking about the, the Gentiles and, and you understand there was, a, there was meant to be a separation between the Jews and the Gentiles. But now in God's new economy, because of his death and resurrection, now all people who, who would believe could call on Christ as their Savior. Now they were engrafted into the family of God. And, and so now using that illustration, but notice what he was using. He was saying, kill and eat. Saying, you know, the, the law has been fulfilled in Christ. Those things that I required, even from a dietary point of view, they're no longer valid in this, in this time. So again, this was symbolic of, of, um, of Peter's refusal to eat of animals called unclean by the law. And now God's declaration was to eat. Look at verses 27 to 28. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many that were come together. And he said unto them, You know how that is an unlawful thing of a man that is a Jew to keep company or come unto one of another nation. But God hath showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. So he understood. He understood now that, look, the law is no longer. Those things that, that were required of the, uh, of the, 
um, of the Jewish people. They're no longer God has a new economy. But it's interesting that he used that to illustrate kill and eat. So don't don't abstain. So again, what I'm trying to simply demonstrate tonight is several times in the Bible, God says, eat meat. Eat meat. This is the time we live in. Okay, and again, I understand that you, you, maybe some of you got to limit it for dietary requirements. Uh, maybe there's some health reasons that you do it. But from a moral standpoint, there's no, there's no moral grounds to abstain from meat. There isn't. All right, so, so uh, ladies, sorry, you can't, you can't spiritualize that with your husband now. Okay, I've uncovered the truth for them. Okay, so cook a mistake tonight, all right? But, but notice how the, the Bible continues here. He says, Which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. So he follows that up. He's saying there's a spiritual reason. There's a spiritual reason why uh, those that, that, that uh, are seductive spirits and lying spirits tell the world and espouse this belief that eating meat is bad. That you should abstain from eating meat. And, and here it is. I believe there are several reasons. And, and God says this. God created it to be received with thanksgiving. But to them which believe and know the truth. So, you know, we as believers should know better than to think that there's some moral reason to abstain from meat. He's saying that that's, that's actually, there's a, that's, that's something that you should know. That you should receive it with thanksgiving. I've created it for that purpose. And, and so there are several reasons, and, and I'm saying that there's, there's got to be spiritual reasons that God says to eat meat. And, and I can think of two things. Firstly, it shows... It shows man's dominion over other creatures. You know, animals aren't humans. And humans aren't animals. We, as, as, as bearers of God's image, we have certain rights. And we have certain dominion. And whenever we eat meat, it reminds us that we are meant to conquer this world. We are to have dominion. We are to have headship over this world. This world doesn't dictate to the man. We are to, to, to dictate to this world. And, and so, you know, we understand we ought to be a good steward of the resources that God has given us. We ought not to be wasteful. But this idea that we must firstly care for Mother Earth in, in, um, in total abandonment for the health and welfare of human beings is very anti-Bible. It's anti-Bible. I don't, I, I don't care what you say about that because the reality is God's saying a, and painting a different picture. The world could give you a, a totally different facts about that, but the reality is this. If you think God, uh, God somehow, somehow in His creation uh, has limited our ability to, to use the, the natural resources, again, in good stewardship, then you're mistaken. God is a, is a master craftsman. Okay, this world can sustain us. And, and we need to understand that, 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 that in, in the simple thing of eating meat, it really, firstly, it shows that order that God has given, that man is to have dominion over other flesh. Right? We understand there's this taboo. We, we, we don't eat human flesh, do we? We don't go down and, you know, there's a reason why we bury or burn the dead. Because we're not reselling the flesh, right? That's called cannibalism. It's wrong. We understand that. But we shouldn't feel guilty to go down the local supermarket and get a piece of cow and make sure its death was used for, for our greater good, all right? We shouldn't feel bad that the cow cried when it died. Because really, that, it shows we have dominion. We're different to other flesh. All right, um, so, so if you like fishing, man, catch as much fish as you want. Brother EJ, I expect that from now on. 
I'm sorry. I know you've been limiting yourself, but just catch it, man. Cook it up. Um, you know, have a steak, man, this week to the glory of God. Just It shows man's dominion over the flesh. But here's, here's where I think it is, too. It shows a pattern of sacrifice required for the life of man. You understand that for, for thousands of years, there were no grocery stores. There was, no, there was no butcher. We had to go out and kill an animal if we wanted a steak. We couldn't go to the local outback, look at the menu at the different cuts. My personal favorite, herb crusted prime, all right, medium rare. And we, we couldn't just go and order. You know, what God had, you know what man had to do? We had to go and kill that animal. Watch it bleed so we would feed our family. So that we could live. You know what that is? It's a picture of what Christ had to do for the whole world. Put himself as a sacrifice so that the world can live. And so God, even in that, he had a design. So that, that we could see the death of the innocent so that those of us could live. And we've lost that, haven't we, as a culture? You know, right from the beginning when, when man fell, what did God do? Man came in and Adam and Eve came with their apron of fig leaves. And what did God do? He killed an animal and he dressed man and woman in those coats. He killed an animal. It was a sacrifice. Um, you know the story of Cain and Abel. In Genesis chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, And Abel he also brought of the first things of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth and his countenance fell. And what I'm saying is God's pattern and what he was trying to allude to and picture in, in type. Again, even right through the, the, the law, all those sacrifices, they, weren't, they were all animal sacrifices. Blood. Blood being burnt uh, and, and then the meat being burnt. That was all part of the picture of the true and better sacrifice, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so even in that thing of, of, of abstaining from meat, God's intended purpose was to show over and over again because of what we had to do. We had to kill. We had to, we had to, um, we had to see the blood in order to feed our families, in order for us to survive. And there was a repetition of a pattern that the world was meant to see over and over again. Death so that life could be. And, and that's why there's, there's just really this, this opposition this day to see blood. To see blood shed. This opposition to see the, the, those animals that are God intended for the purpose of feeding and, and the, the purpose of being slaughtered so that people who are in His image could live. All right, so God is trying to witness to the world the reality of death for life. And again, those are spiritual reasons. And, and we, you look at the world that's in opposition of that and, and it vilifies that. It's really it's trying, to, trying to erase another type that is really is a witness of the gospel. And so this week, eat some meat. You can look at that and you can again remember, boy, something had to die so I could live this week. And it's a witness again of what Christ did for us on the cross. And so then he goes on in verses 4 and 5, for every creature of God is good. He says, and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. And that's why we teach our, our Young people, we teach ourselves to pray, for it is sanctified by the Word of God and prayer. And so he says nothing to be refused. 
So this is relating to that forbidding to marry and, and abstaining from meats. See, marriage and eating of meat are both pictures of the relationship Christ has with His people. Marriage speaks of His care and love for the church. Eating meat speaks of sacrifice, speaks of the blood shed on the cross so that we could live. And I'm just saying in our world today, there's a concerted effort in our day to refuse both. And that's part of the spirit of seduction in the age that we live in. There's, there's morality reasons that are thrown out, and really that's code for spiritual warfare. But both, the Bible says, are to be received with thanksgiving through prayer. All right? We understand that, that we ought to pray and we ought to consider God's will in, in, in that and consider our thanksgiving, right? That's prayer. But then also through His Word. You know how it's sanctified through His Word? He teaches us. He teaches us that marriage is good. And He teaches us that eating meat is good too. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you, dear Lord, for the just opportunity to expound in your word tonight. And really, uh, if we're not careful, those seductive spirits can just draw us away and get us on a, really on a path that, that is a distraction from, from your intended purposes. And thank you, Lord, that over and over again in this world, you've built in pictures of the gospel, pictures of your, your relationship with us, your church, your pictures of your sacrifice that, Lord, you did once for all, but, but Lord, in, in the stubbornness of man's heart, must see over and over again so that he could get that there was a greater sacrifice. And, Lord, as we, we think about that in the world we live in, I pray that you'd help us not to take heed to those seducing spirits, but really to consider your intent and your purpose in these two very specific things. And help us, Lord, to listen to your voice and, Lord, to consider our decisions based on the Word of God. And so we thank you and praise you in Jesus' most precious, holy, wonderful name. Amen. All right, Brother Sam, lead us in a song.